We look at Paul as an example. He always had people around him, whether it was Timothy, whether it was Barnabas, whether it was Silas, or whether it was Priscilla and Aquila. He never considered this Christian life or his missionary journeys to be solitary efforts. As a matter of fact, he writes to Timothy, please come before winter because I am lonely for you. And this is the great Apostle Paul. So if he's lonely, surely we should not feel guilty or bad for expressing loneliness ourselves. If you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn to the book of Acts, chapter 18. Um, that is where we will be studying today. This is um, the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So, Paul's second missionary journey is coming to an end in our passage today. And <clears throat> I've just been uh, re-fascinated, or fascinated anew, as we have gone through this study of the book of Acts, of the watch care of the Lord Jesus and how he told the disciples at the time when he was getting ready to uh, go to heaven he said um, I will build my church upon your confession Peter that I am the son of God and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and surely in the book of Acts we see the gates of hell trying over and over again to prevail against the church and failing to do so. And we will see that again today. Um, and I'm just going to open in a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you from the depths of our hearts for the opportunity to worship today in a free country where we know these freedoms are eroding. But we pray for godly wisdom and for men to rise up to lead us who will prize above all the word of God, not the word of man. Uh, we echo with the founding fathers who said we are endowed by our creator. And we thank you for being our creator and being faithful to the promises of your word. We pray this in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, so if you will turn, as I said, to Acts chapter 18, we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we're going to start with the first eight verses. Um, and this is opportunity and opposition in Corinth. This is something that you find all throughout the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, as we get into the early church, you find opportunities for the church to grow. And then opposition to that growth. So as we read these verses, this will come out. It says that after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came on to them. 
And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's heart, house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house was joined to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Now, what I'd like to bring out here, first of all, Paul departs uh, from Athens and comes to Corinth, and he comes upon a certain Jew named Aquila with his wife Priscilla. And they were from Italy, um, but they were commanded to depart from Rome, and they came to Corinth. Now, we are not sure... 100% whether Aquila and Priscilla were believers in the Lord when they were relocated, but um, it is safe to say that Paul at least discipled them, if not led them to the Lord when he came in contact with them in Corinth. And it says they had the same craft. Priscilla and Aquila and Paul were all tent makers. And when I looked up this term, I found that tent makers was more broad than just tents. It was all manner of leather craft. But whatever it was they were doing, they were um, making things to sell as tent makers. And that's where this term comes for any number of bivocational ministers who provide for their own necessities through another job, but then also minister for the Lord is tent making. And I have had various tent making opportunities through the years. Right now I'm relying um, mostly on my ministry income along with um, income from the state. But um, my primary job at this point is the ministry of the gospel and I'm thankful for the opportunities that God has given. and uh, But Paul was determined that when possible, he would provide for his own necessities. There's a passage in the epistles where he says, I could have asked you to provide for my necessities, but I haven't asked any of you, but have instead provided for my own necessities. And this is how he did it, is through tent making. And... So no doubt they spent a lot of time together and you know Paul, he was always talking about the Lord Jesus. So I'm sure they had many great discussions. And it says something we've read over and over in the book of Acts, verse 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jew, the Jews and the Greeks. Remember Paul said that the gospel is for everyone, the Jew first, and also the Greek. 
the Jew first and also the Gentile. And then it says in verse 5, When Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. I had the opportunity this past week when I was waiting to go to my dentist to speak to a, a young lady outside of a retail shop, which is Kitty Corner, from the dentist, and I ended up giving her my testimony. I was not expecting that encounter, but when you abide in Christ, and when you allow His work to flow out of you, opportunities come. And I was thankful for that. Um, she has my card, so I'm hoping that she will uh, find my ministry information and get in touch. But you can pray for Anna, that she would be touched by the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul is pressed in his spirit to share with the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. There is a sect of believers today that believe falsely that Peter was the apostle to the Jews and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was indeed called to the Gentiles. God told Ananias that this would be the case. God used persecution to press Paul more toward the Gentiles, as you will see. But Paul never lost his heart for the Jews. He said that we should pray for the peace of Israel. He's writing to the Romans who are Gentiles, and he says to them, pray for the peace of Israel. He said, I would that all Israel be saved. And he said, if it were possible, I would sacrifice my salvation so that Israel can be saved. Of course, we know that's not how, how salvation works, but that was the heart of Paul. And then they opposed him and blasphemed, and he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I go to the Gentiles. And there's one thing I noticed, even from the Gospels, is that who was it that Jesus said, Never have I seen such great faith even in all Israel, too. It was to a Gentile. It was to someone outside. It was to someone outside of the commonwealth of Israel. This centurion. And when you got to the cross of Jesus, it wasn't one of the Jews who passed by and waved their heads that said, surely this was the Son of God. It was instead the Roman centurion who witnessed everything that was done, who witnessed the love of Jesus. When Jesus started crying out, I'm sure some people thought, well, maybe he's crying for relief. Maybe he's crying for help. But instead, what were the words that came out of his mouth? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then when he cried out again, he said, Woman, behold thy son. And to John he said, Behold thy mother. And from that very hour, he took her into his house. So, 
the majority of the words that Jesus spoke on the cross were words of love for humanity. And so we see here that the Gentiles are again going to be an example of the Jews of the right thing to do. Because as soon as he says, henceforth I'll go to the Gentiles, he goes into Justice's house, one who worshipped God and was joined hard to the synagogue, and then Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians believed after they heard, and they were baptized. So Paul didn't have the open door that he thought he would have, but there was an open door for Paul. The Bible says in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Our own understanding is flawed. If we lean on our own understanding, we fail. But he says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. God knew that Paul needed to be there preaching so that Crispus would come to know Jesus. And so that many Corinthians would believe and be baptized. So God may have plans for you that, the, that you know not of. Proverbs also says man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And it's our job as believers in the Lord Jesus to be sensitive to the steps that God has for us. Here's a little note on Aquila and Priscilla. It says, Aquila and Priscilla were probably confused as to why they were driven out of Rome where they were making such a good living, but God designed it so they would meet Paul in Corinth and become Christians. What seemed to be a tragedy became the greatest blessing of all for Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla had been kicked out of Rome where they probably had a profitable business established. And in God's providence, they made their way to Corinth where they would discover that what seemed like a major life setback was just the opposite. When they lost their business in Rome, they more than made up for in their relationship with the Apostle Paul. Undoubtedly, they grew mightily in the Lord over the 18 months that they spent with Paul in Corinth, and they became close friends with him, as attested by their mention in three other Pauline books. The lesson for all of us to take to heart is that God is able to take our disappointments and make them his appointments for his kingdom work. The eternal rewards of Priscilla and Aquila will far and forever overshadow any temporal, earthly loss they may have experienced by being displaced from Rome. They will forever affirm the absolute truth of Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. And that is from Jack Arnold. And I really appreciated those thoughts because we've all had those times in our lives where we seem like where it seems like there's a major setback. But God has a purpose for everything that He puts in our way. 
And I, I just think it's important for us to consider that. Um, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he had to use persecution to move people throughout the earth to do his work. And for Priscilla and Aquila, at the very least, they needed help and spiritual growth. They may very well have been saved under Paul, but at the very least, they needed spiritual growth and help, and Paul was able to give that because he met them there. So God's purpose won out. If we could look at Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4, Romans 16, 3 and 4, if someone could read that for me, I would appreciate it. So we see that they grew in their faith. And he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila who risked their own necks for my life. You know, we, we think we know what Christian love and fellowship is in our church, but how many of us would risk our necks for another believer in the Lord Jesus? It should be all of us. And by God's grace, I hope that that is all of us in this room, that we would be willing to do that. But that is what real love means. It doesn't mean warm fuzzies or short phrases written on candy hearts. <laughs> Jesus said that greater love has no man than this, and then he laid down his life for his friends. And that is what Priscilla and Aquila did for the Apostle Paul. We don't aren't given the details. We only know that's what they did. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 5.11 2 Corinthians 5.11 Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. God is love. The Bible tells us that clearly. It's true, 100%. But we also need to know that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. We need to let people know about how we are dead in trespasses and sin unless Jesus makes us alive. And we know that hell is a real place. Jesus said, uh, fear him. Don't fear him who can just kill the body, but fear him who can cast body and soul into hell. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. This is not a metaphorical place. This is a real place. And we need to make sure that we avoid it. Because the reality is God doesn't want any of us to go there. Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Colossians 4, 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you, and Marcus, sister, son, and Barnabas, touching whom he received commandments to become unto you received him. And Jesus was called justice who are of the circumcision. These only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto you. 
So this is a mention of justice who we read about in this passage too. That he was a comfort unto Paul. This is convicting to me because so often there is grumbling and complaining in the church of God. And instead of being a comfort to one another, we are a stumbling block or a cause of struggle and consternation for our brothers and sisters, but we are to be a comfort. May we all realize that and take it to heart. As we tread the narrow way, together sing, together pray, what is sweeter here below than the fellowship we know? Comfort for the hearts that bleed, sympathy in hours of need, kindly things that others say brighten up the dreary day. Friendship, fellowship, and love, blessed gifts from from heaven above. Glad am I that in God's plan there was fellowship for man. I often reflect in times of struggle how rich I am in friends. The old classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, which never gets old for me, Clarence the Angel wrote this to George Bailey when he left him his copy of Tom Sawyer. He said, no man is a failure who has friends. All through the movie, George Bailey thinks he's a failure. He thinks people would be better off without him. And then in the end of the movie, he sees person after person coming in to help him and tell him how he changed their life. And you see that in this, as the story unfolds. But George is too close to the situation to see it. He gets to the point where he doesn't want to live anymore. And then he finally realizes that life is worth living. Now we as Christians have an even better impetus for living because we are the friends of God. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a servant does not know what his master is doing, but everything I have received from my father, I have told you. Isn't it interesting that he said that? And then when they asked him, he said, now will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. And for some reason and way beyond our comprehension with our finite minds, he said, I don't even know. Only the Father in heaven knows. But it is going to happen because God is a promise-keeping God. But I'm thankful for the fellowship that he gives. I'm thankful that I can call you guys brother and sister. And I do legitimately miss you when I can't be here. Two months felt like a really long time. So I'm glad to be back. Encouragement from Jesus. Acts 18, 9 to 11. So Paul just went through this great upheaval and persecution. And now in our second section, he's going to get some encouragement from the Lord Jesus. It says, 
Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision, saying, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So here he might have been thinking, hey, i got to get out of the city as soon as possible. And Jesus says, wait a minute, Paul, I have a plan, and that plan involves you continuing to teach. Now there could be a multiple meanings for I have much people in this city. One could mean that he, he had much people that already loved him, which could be very true. We already saw the startings of revival in Corinth through um, his initial ministry in the House of Justice. But it could also mean that he had many people that he wanted Paul to reach with the gospel. Because he has a plan. What did Jesus say? No man comes to me except the Father draws him. And so then he continued a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. He didn't hide until the worst of things blew over. He continued to teach boldly. Such an important lesson for each of us to know. I find it interesting that Paul, one of the boldest of the apostles, continued to pray for more boldness that he might more fully articulate the gospel of the Lord Jesus. The conversion of Crispus, an important Jewish leader, opened up more opportunities for evangelism and brought more opposition from the enemy. The Jewish community in Corinth was no doubt furious at Paul's success and did everything possible to silence him and get rid of him. Dr. Luke does not give us the details, but I get the impression that between Acts 18.8 and Acts 18.9 the situation became especially difficult and dangerous. Paul may have been thinking about leaving the city when the Lord came to him and gave him the assurance that he needed. And that is from the Bible Exposition Commentary Be Daring Acts 13-28 by Warren Wiersbe. Can we look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 18-20? Ephesians 6 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I may fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul is saying, Pray. For all the saints. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And pray specifically for me. That I would have more boldness. To speak for Christ. We need to be. Seeking to be bold for Christ. And we need to pray. To that end. God will always answer prayers. That line up with his will. Dr. F.B. Mayer said. That if he had his preaching ministry. To live over again. He would preach more sermons of encouragement to God's people. Surely in such a day as this, whatever encouragement can be brought should not be withheld, for it is sorely needed. The Christian faith is basically optimistic because it views the change of experience 
in the light of the unchangeable counsel of the living God, because with him there is no shadow of turning, we may indeed have strong encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. And that was in the Courtesy Moody Monthly, and what a blessing that is to consider for us. So our next section is further ministry and persecution, Acts eighteen twelve to eighteen. Acts eighteen twelve to eighteen reads, and when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him unto the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuaded men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. So we, we see that um, there is great contempt for Paul as he's sharing the gospel. Jesus said this would happen because he said, if the world hates you, it will hate me as well. And so we, we see that Paul is opening his mouth for his defense, but this leader actually stood up for him and said, if this was a matter of grave wickedness one to another, I would speak to it, but since it isn't it's a violation of your law, then you see to it. Um, and so he didn't want to hear the matter. Um, and then we see um, them being driven from the judgment seat. And then Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogues, gets beat before the judgment seat. And Galileo is indifferent to this. And we see Paul continues uh, and tarries yet a little while, and then he sails um, into Syria with Priscilla and Aquila. And he goes to Centuria because he had made a vow. Um, I just want to read this. It says, Pejorative means expressing contempt or disapproval and is intended to disparage or belittle. This was certainly the tactic of these evil Jews. The KJV says this fellow, as Jack Andrews says, they didn't show enough respect for Paul to mention his name. That is the way the Lord Jesus was treated by his accusers. Paul was in good company. We better not show contempt for the man of God or the message of God. And that was from Precept Austin. But God knew Paul's name, and he knew what Paul was going through. And he was there to give grace as Paul was going through this trial. And I, I just want to mention that I did some studying on the vow, and indications are that Paul had...
taken um, a Nazarite vow for a brief period of time. So he'd grown his hair, not dr drink from the fruit of the vine for a period of time. And then tradition was that you would shave your head and you would um, leave your hair at the temple as part of a closing sacrifice to the ceremonial duties that were involved with the end of a Nazarite vow. So that is the information that I found on that particular aspect. And we see Paul um, going into Syria and taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. And it's just a testament to how close he had grown to this brother and this sister. We need other people. I remember several years ago when I was first beginning my speaking friend ministry and someone told me, well, it's your ministry so you should be able to do it yourself. But if we look at Paul as an example, he always had people around him, whether it was Timothy, whether it was Barnabas, whether it was Silas, or whether it was Priscilla and Aquila, he never considered this Christian life or his missionary journeys to be solitary efforts. As a matter of fact, he writes to Timothy, please come before winter because I am lonely for you. And this is the great Apostle Paul. So if he's lonely, surely we should not feel guilty or bad for expressing loneliness ourselves. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15. Peter is telling us here that you will go through persecution, but be ready to give an answer. It's encouraging to know that this is the same guy who said, Lord, I am ready to die for you. And yet he denied Jesus three times. But yet he's also not the same guy because he is imbued with the spirit of Almighty God. And the change that comes over a man when that happens is amazing. Vance Havner said, A persecuted church has a repelling power as well as an attracting power. The great awakenings of the past have not begun by the gathering in of the many, but by the deeper consecration of the few. Many of the ministries today are focused on numbers, and often when you go to like camp ministry, they'll say this is the number of people that have come to know the Lord this summer. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But what Vance Havner is saying here and what the Bible conveys is that God doesn't care about numbers as much as he cares about commitment. That's why Jesus said where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. He didn't say two or three thousand, although that is still true. He said two or three. Let's finish up the chapter here where Paul will sell from Ephesus to home in, uh, or finish up our section here, I'm sorry, not the chapter. But Paul will sell from, sell from Ephesus to home in uh, verses 19 through 22. 
And he came to Ephesus and left them there. This meaning Priscilla and Aquila. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. There he is again, reasoning with the Jews. Even though he told the Jews in Corinth, I am going to shake the dust off my feet and I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He's still reasoning with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry a longer time, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went to Antioch. So Paul ends his missionary journey with his home church in Antioch. He goes back to give an account of the things that were done on this missionary journey. He goes to Ephesus briefly. They desired him to stay. He said, I can't stay right now. I have to go to Jerusalem um, probably to finish, as I said, the duties related to the vow that he took. And then he goes to Syria and he salutes the church, and then he goes down to Antioch, where he had begun. So God led Paul safely through a second missionary journey. I will return to you again if God wills. Paul sought God's will in all matters. He was a God-dependent man, a good pattern for all God's children to emulate. As Robertson says, such phrases were common among the Jews, Greeks, and Romans in our today. It is simply a recognition that we are in God's hands. Let's look, by way of cross-reference, quickly at James 4, 13 to 15. James 4, 13 to 15. Um, I remember when my grandpa was alive, he would often say, when I asked him if he was going to do something that was coming up, he would say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. And I always remembered that. And I remember in my studies of, of James that we should always say, Lord willing. The Bible doesn't tell us to not plan events or things in the future. But what it does say is that God is the one who is in control of that. Second John one twelve. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust and come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. There is nothing like face to face fellowship with people that you love. We have many ways to communicate today. I can send someone a text message. I can call them on the phone. I just saw a, a thread on Facebook yesterday, I think it was, that was talking about how certain people only want to text. They don't even want to take phone calls. And someone made the point, what if I just want to hear your voice? And I was like, yes. 
that is it. Sometimes you just want to hear the voice of the ones that you love. And we really need to get better at our overall communication skills because we have more ways to communicate than ever before. But in some ways we do less communicating than we ever did. When Paul wrote his letters, he wrote out of a great sense of love and compassion for the people that he was writing to. When John is writing 2 John, he's, he makes it a really short letter. Why does he do that? Because I have, he says, I have many more things to write to you, but I don't want to write them with pen and ink. I want to see you face to face and say them. No more, nowhere in the New Testament do any of the Greek words translated fellowship imply fun times. Rather, they talk of, for example, the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, 2 Corinthians 8, 4, as sacrificial servants and financial aid. See, for example, 1 Timothy 6, 18. Elsewhere, Paul was thankful for the Philippian believers' fellowship in the gospel, Philippians 1, 5, for he knew that insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers, same word as fellowship, of my grace, Philippians 1, 7. This sort of fellowship may even bring persecution. We are to emulate Christ's humility and self-sacrificial love in Philippians 2, 5, and 8 through the fellowship of the Spirit, Philippians 2, 1. In some way, known only partially to us, we have the privilege of knowing the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, Philippians 3.10, and even the communion or fellowship of the blood and body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10.16. And that was from J.D. Morris. God never promised us that life would be easy, but he did give us companions to help us through. There's a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Faithful runs ahead of Christian because he's so excited and exuberant, and he falls down. And Christian comes and picks him up and dusts him off and continues to walk with him. We need people in our lives who will pick us up and dust us off and walk with us. If you have not yet accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, call upon him. Well, he is not. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is the key to understanding the truths we have spoken of here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his vulnerability, for his willingness to talk of his imperfections, but to constantly glorify the perfections of the Lord Jesus. We pray that we would be we would be the same. We're reminded about where Paul said, "For you are my epistles, known and read of all men." We may be the sample of Jesus that you use to bring others into the kingdom, and we be prepared for this in Jesus' name. Amen.